Today's scripture reading is Matthew twenty-two fifteen through 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied, Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. All right, what's going on? Everybody good? Okay, I'm assuming you are. Now, um, so uh, before we get going, I wanted to do a little housekeeping. Um, we are desperately in need of children's workers. I know I do this like regularly, like all the time. Raise your hand if you're serving the children's ministry. Okay, I love each and every one of you from the depths of my heart. Now, um, Nicole is a, a strong, mighty, powerful woman doing great things back there. She's our children's coordinator, by the way, if you have no idea who I'm talking about. Um, but the weight of the world is resting upon her shoulders and the amount of effort that it takes to just get enough volunteers to where it doesn't turn into Lord of the Flies back there <laughs> is staggering. Um, but she's strong and she's standing tall, war paint on her face, demanding service. So um, if you have kids and they're back there, I'm glad you get a little break pitch in eventually, right? Like if you've been here a little while, a year or so, pitch in, help us out. Um, it's at the point now where our, ch- our current children's workers, there's so many kids, our current children's workers are having to serve like twice a month. It doesn't seem like a lot. The kids are a lot. Um, but um, what, what could happen is if everyone were to sort of pitch in, everyone would end up doing this like once or twice a year. Like if, if even parents would step in and do it. So uh, um, please, I am begging you. Friends, Romans, countrymen, serve our children. The children are our future, I've heard. So, you get the point, I think. We're good to go. This is our passage today. This is one of my favorite passages. Um, And uh, perhaps you've heard this. When I was growing up, this passage was always, you know, Jesus says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. And, And growing up, I always kind of heard that this meant pay your taxes and tithes to your church. Um, How very American of an interpretation that is. Um, However, that honestly has nothing to do with the passage at all. Nevertheless, um, it is a prominent thing. I mean, we'll just go around this. We're going to go other places today. Um, So, but this is our passage and uh, there's a lot wrapped up in this. Uh, I'm going to open this up in a word of prayer and we're going to jump into this. And we're going to go. You ready? I am. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. I ask that right now you would give us presence of heart, presence of mind. Allow us to, uh, 
to read these ancient texts and to receive exactly what you have for us to receive. Let us see it in a new light, in a new way. Let us see how it directly, absolutely impacts us today in our world, in our culture. Um, Give us first century eyes. Give us um, 21st century vision for what this means for us. Thank you. In your name, amen. So we're going to start right here. Then the Pharisees went out and laid laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. I'm going to pause right there for a second. Um, Herodians, you can tell by the name, served who? Herod. There you go. Now, um, the Pharisees did not serve Herod. They were anti-Herod. The Pharisees were not like the Sadducees. The Sadducees were more like... Like, like modern evangelicals. They were like, like, let's work with power, right, to do our thing. The Pharisees were like, no, 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 no. We should never be a part of the Roman Empire. They were a separate thing. Um, however, they were very pious, um, very, very religious and spiritual. And here they come with the Herodians. So they are partnering with the people that they are absolutely against, that if they had their way, they would take swords and slaughter all of them and Herod himself and take back their land. But here they are working together, which means Jesus is really a thorn in their saddle. All right? Like he is, he is in, in their way, like really causing an upset to all of them. Okay? Thorn in their saddle. Okay. Here we go. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the ways of God in accordance with the truth. I don't think they thought that at all. Um, You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Basically, um, we've we've noticed that you don't really care about the honor that people have, judging by the company that you keep, right? Um, So they're buttering him up, and they have a question for him, and they're going to ask a question. There's something you need to understand about questions in the first century. Everything in our world is really different than it was back then. Um, But there are instances of it that you will see, and I'll point some of them out to you. Um... So, there's two ways you could ask questions in the first century. Uh, One of them was in private. One of them was in public. There were different reasons that you would ask these things. A private question would be a sign of respect. Going to somebody who you recognize them as above you. They have a higher honor and dignity and power. And you say, "Um, I would like to learn something from you. I have a question. I'm coming to you as a student. Be my teacher for the moment, okay? Private questions. Um... Were, were signs of honor where you would learn. There's lots of these in the scriptures. Here's four of them. I was able to quickly locate like 17 of them just in the book of Matthew. Um, 13, Matthew 13, 10. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And then uh, in fifteen twelve, the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And then in, verse, in 17, 19, it says, then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive the demon out? These are all instances of someone bringing Jesus, pulling him aside and asking him quietly a question. Um, if you were in a public space and you shout out a question, you were doing something very different. That is a challenge of honor. Um, last week, we talked a lot about the honor culture, the first century. This is a huge part of, uh, of, of a solid understanding of the scriptures. By the way, knowing what you know now about the honor culture, if you were here last week, Read uh, the story of Zacchaeus, and you will see that, how heavy it is in that story. Now, um, if you came to somebody in public, you gather your disciples, and you butter them up in this way. I hear 
that you are this and this and this. The crowd recognizes what is happening. This is a challenge, a challenge of honor, okay? And you're going to ask them a question. And this question is sort of like both of you are now climbing on top of a seesaw. And depending on how you answer this question, if you are flustered by it and you don't have a good answer, you lose some honor and the other person gains honor. If you answer it really well, that person loses honor and you gain honor. This is a very risky thing to do because it can cost you um, followers. It can cost you honor. It, it, can, it can make you a bit of a laughingstock, okay? So they come to Jesus and they have a question for him. And the audience understands what is happening. They are part of this honor culture. They understand that they now have a role as well. They gather around and they are now spectators in the honor game. They know that the winner or the loser will be decided by them and nobody else except for them. And there's different responses that you would have when you see an honor challenge taking place in the public. Um, Here's a few of them in scriptures. There's a lot of them. It's very public, physical sort of motions, sounds, actions that you would take to announce that you disapprove of somebody and they are losing honor in your sight. Uh, In Job 17, spitting is one of them. Um, God has made me a byword to everyone, a man in whose face people spit. If you spit in someone's face, um, just like it is today, you are dishonoring them, taking away, letting them know they don't have honor in your eyes. And and whatever head they had, they now have less. Um, Gaping mouths, mouths wide open, like that. Um, Job 16.10, people often, people open their mouths to jeer at me. Like when you're walking by and people open their mouths at you, it's insulting, um, apparently in the, in the ancient world. Uh, shaking your head, just, uh-uh, just shaking your head. Matthew 27.35, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. Um, by the way, the spitting and the shaking of heads, both of which are mentioned um, when Jesus is marching up the hill carrying his cross. So this guy who had great honor is now being belittled, um, and he is now sh- uh, shameful and, and honorless. His clothes have been ripped off. He's now exposed and naked and hanging um, on a cross. And before that, he's walking, dragging this cross up the hill, and people are spitting at him and dishonoring him. That's what this is. Look what you have come to. Look what you are now. That's, that's what is happening. Uh, separating of the lips is something that is mentioned in Psalm 22, 7. Uh, modern translations just kind of say they insulted him. But the ancient word, like this is what it means, the Hebrew word. And it's basically, historians tell us it's equivalent to like a raspberry. Like, I don't know, for some reason. That's something that they would do as if to say, that's you. Um, now, this is what the audience would do. So. The challenge is being set up. The Pharisees and the Herodians come together. Two high honor, high status positions come together to challenge the honor of somebody who is making a scene in the temple and, and, and being lifted up as um, a high status person by his own followers. And here we go. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now, um, I would say the main place you will see this sort of um, honor challenge thing in modern culture is if you ever go to a comedy show and there's a heckler. This is the equivalent, okay? When a heckler, I, I love turning on, going, going to YouTube and, and, and watching YouTube videos of, of comedians being heckled and just gauging their responses, all right? Some of them are very good at being heckled. And they have quick responses and they're witty. When somebody stands up to heckle someone who is speaking, I've always wondered what that would happen if somebody did that here. How would that go? I have no idea. It's exciting to think about. Um, and someone stands up and they heckle the guy on the stage. 
uh, that's like a challenge to your honor, right? You're making the person on stage look stupid, look less honorable, like lower, right? And then there's this response, this response, and sometimes you get this response. I saw a band once that was playing, and he got heckled from the back, and the guy on the stage was like, sir, what's your name? Hold on, what's your name? What's your name? He's like, John. He's like, shut up, John. And that was it. And the crowd lost it. I was like, he did it. He maintained his honor in the simplest way possible. The most confident. It was brilliant. Um, now, now I can't use that. Just joking. I wouldn't use that anyway. Sorry. Okay. Um, so here we go. The question. What is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now, this is a huge question. This is a question that divided all kinds of people in the first century. It's a, it's, and, and here's why. Um, the, the area of Palestine in which they are living, where Jerusalem was uh, at the time, uh, was, was ruled by the Roman Empire. It was occupied by the Romans. Uh, it was the rightful land of the, of, of, the, uh, of the Jewish people. It was where their temple was. It was where they lived. It was where they'd been for a long time. And Rome comes in and conquers them and then says, for the privilege of us ruling over you, we're going to charge you three taxes. You're welcome. Um, the third tax, the, 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 the most offensive tax uh, that, they, that, they lever, that they leverage against the people um, is called the toll tax. That is what they're talking about here. Um, the toll tax was, it was designed to be an offense to the people. Um, there was a, a particular coin that you had to use to pay it. This coin was printed only for the Jewish people. And no one else had it. It wasn't in circulation anywhere else. A lot of them have survived today. We know what they look like because we have them. Um, they look like this. Uh, this is the head of Tiberius, Caesar. Um, he is on the coin. Um, this coin was, again, specifically minted for the Jewish people to pay the toll tax. This is what they're talking about here. When Jesus holds up the coin, this is exactly what he's holding up. On one side, um, there is um, an inscription. It says, T. Caesar... Divi Abigaf Augustus, all the way around. And if you translate that, it's, 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 it's a summary of, of uh, basically the great Tiberius Caesar, son of God, Augustus. Augustus was his father, the Caesar before him. Um, and he's claiming that his father is a god and that he himself is the son of God. Does that sound familiar at all? Um, now, um, the other side of the coin, when you flip it over, looks like this. It has a woman who is the goddess Roma. And on one side, uh, from the bottom right, reading around, it says Pontifex. And on the other side, it says Maxim, all the way down. Um, it's, it's a short way of saying Pontifex Maximus. Pontifex is the word for priest. Maximus is the word for high. So what it's claiming is that this guy, Tiberius Caesar, is also not only the son of God, but the high priest. Okay? Um, this is an offense to every Jewish person who is forced to pay the temple tax. This coin is specifically given to them. They have to take their Jewish money, they have to exchange it, and they have to take this, basically, this idol. It's like a, a, a mobile idol, a pocket idol to carry around with you. And it was offensive to even have to look at it and hold it. Um, and this is what they had to use to pay the tax. This was such an offensive thing that they were regularly revolts against the Roman Empire because of this coin that was made. Uh, 20 years earlier, a guy named... Um, Judas Maccabeus, he led a revolt of the Jewish people. He demanded, we will not pay this tax. We will not use this coin. And he demanded all his followers stop paying the tax. And he led a revolt, and they were all slaughtered and killed. 
Um, this happened over and over and over again. And so when these guys come to him, they're doing something very particular. The Herodians, who work for Herod, who enforce the temple tax. The Pharisees, who do not work for Herod, who work in the temple, leaders of the Jewish people, come together and they come to Jesus and say, what do you think of the temple tax? Should we pay this tax or should we not pay this tax? For Jesus, this is a lose-lose scenario. If Jesus says, of course we should pay the tax, then all of the Jewish people around him are wildly offended. And he is no longer a leader in their society. He loses all honor and they would jeer at him and spit at him because they are wildly against this. But if he says, no, you don't have to pay the tax, we should not pay the tax, then the Herodians are going to have him arrested and killed for leading a revolt because that's obviously what he would be doing. So what we have here is Jesus very cleverly put in a situation that is lose, 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 lose. There is no really good way to answer this question. This is what people do when you want to pin somebody, somebody who is gaining momentum and has a lot of followers. Whenever someone arises up in the Christian world, whether a singer or whatever, and they get into a public um, eye, what typically happens is people from the outside ask them a question that is incredibly divisive among all of the people that are underneath them, right? You say, what's your view on this or this or this? And then... Whatever you answer isolates half of your audience or half of your followers, and you instantly are taking hits. That's the plan. That's what they want. This is a tool that people use. If you divide them, they lose honor, they lose power, and this is what they're doing to Jesus, all right? But Jesus is very, very clever. Um, He sort of sees this coming, um, and he has an answer for them. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites. Hypocrites is the uh, Greek word hip- hypocritus. It is, it is simply, um, it's a word that would describe the ancient, form, uh, the ancient art of play acting. You would dance around on a stage with a mask on. You would step off the stage, take it off, put another mask on, and go out on the stage as a different person. Um, the person, the actor, was called a hypocritus. Um, so, you hypocrites, you play actors, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. So, Jesus calls them hypocrites. Why does he call them hypocrites? Uh, He calls them hypocrites because they are pretending to actually care about the temple tax. Their people are against it. They know that. They're pretending that they're against it. And they want Jesus to say he's against it so they can have him arrested. But Jesus says, you hypocrite, show me the coin. And they pull it out of their pocket and they hold it up. What has he just done? He's, he's just revealed that they don't actually care about the temple tax. They keep the coin on them in their pocket. And they pay the tax with it. And everyone around them, probably mouths open, <gasps> they're, carrying, they're carrying the coin. And where are they when this is all happening? They're in the temple. They have brought an idol, a craven image, into the temple. An unclean thing. This was not allowed in the temple. So Jesus instantly reveals them as you who really, really care about the things of God. Do me a favor. Show me the coin. And they pull it out and they show it to him. And he takes it. And uh, right off the bat, he begins to win this thing. When he asks them to produce a coin, he shows two things. First off, he shows that he's not carrying it. And the second thing he shows is that they are carrying it. Now, to understand the offense at this whole thing, you have to understand the craven image. 
of the first century. You have to understand the mindset of the Jewish people um, on craven images. Um, there are lots of idols that we have from the ancient world. Um, these are some Hittite idols. Um, idols are made in conjunction with ancient pagan temples. Um, the priests would develop the look of the idol. The priest would say, uh, he works in the temple. Um, he would say, here's what the idol should look like. And there's the way that you would make an idol. There's three things that would be done when you made an idol. Um, the priest would form it from the earth, from dust or mud or clay, sometimes from trees which were considered rising up out of the earth. So it counted. Uh, but you, most of these, the ones that we have that have survived, obviously aren't made of wood. They're made of clay and dirt um, and dust. And, and you would form it out of this stuff. And then you would breathe on the idol the breath of your God, the spirit of your God. Um, the Hebrew word for breath and the Hebrew word for spirit are the same word. It's the word pneuma. So you are breathing into this idol that you have formed. The priest is, they're breathing into it sort of the spirit of the God that you, have, that you are fashioning it in the image of. And then third, you would place it in the temple that has been prepared. An ancient temple, the temple is simply the place where the heavenly realm and the, and the physical realm have come together. It's where the priest can enter into the center of the temple. It's where God, the God enters to the center of the temple. And, and human beings and gods are together in one place. And it's the only place on the earth where a God would venture into the human realm, is in their own temple. The role of the image of the God, the reason you would make one of these, is so that the people would know, first off, what your God looks like. Apparently... Hittite God was kind of a bird. Uh, maybe a lizard, I don't know. Um, and had like a Smurf hat thing. Um, but this is the general idea of what it would look like, uh, according to the priest. Um, and he would just trust the priest. Okay, I get it. Cool. Um, and you would also be able to gain some insights into sort of the attitude of the, um, of the God um, sort of how they dwelled, how they lived, and, and different things. There would be chants and songs that you would sing. Um, so this is how this would basically work. You would form it for the earth. You would breathe life into it and, and place it in the temple. You turn to Genesis um, chapter, uh, chapter 2 here, verse 7 and 8. This is exactly what you see. Um, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living being. And now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. So there is a place, the Garden of Eden, is the temple. It's where human beings and God dwell together. This is why the actual temple that they built was modeled after the Garden of Eden. It had foliage and, and it had tree designs and fruit designs. Um, and it had curtains of purple on the top so you would feel like you're outside sort of thing. Um, this is what is going on here. The message of Genesis is we were created to be the image of God put here so that the world would know what God is like, what God looks like, um, how God moves through the world, the intentions that God has. There's an office and a vocation. We've gone into great detail back in January with this whole thing about the office and the vocation of humanity and what we are doing here. The reason, the reason that this was so offensive, the coin, is that the Jewish people didn't carve craven images of human beings ever. It was forbidden. And the reason it was forbidden is because they themselves were the image of God. So they were not allowed to stamp coins or carve 
buildings or pictures or statues of human beings at all. The reason you would do that is so people would know what God looks like. And God put you here so God, people would know. God put his people there. They were the image of God, carved from the dust of the ground. Life breathed into them, placed in the temple to do the work of God and serve and be the presence of God in the world. And so Jesus says, give me the coin. And I picture Jesus sort of taking the coin like a dead rat, like, he, like you don't really want to touch it, right? And, and then he holds it up. And it says, whose image is this? And whose inscription is this? And at this point, everyone sort of starts looking around because now you've got a guy holding up an idol in the middle of the temple, which is offensive. And he got this idol from their spiritual leaders, from their temple priests, and he's holding it up. Whose inscription is this? Whose inscription is this? Whose face is this? Who would... Who would say this about themselves? Who would do that? And you, people, you hear probably change jingling as people pull it out and start looking at it, looking at what it says. And the people answer, it's, it's Caesar. So they know. They know who it is. They know who it is that's claiming to be God, son of God. They know who it is that's claiming to be high priest. And I imagine a lot of the people in there, they, they're just not educated. They're just doing what they're told. And they begin to realize that this thing that they're holding is this idol that they should not, should not be holding. And, and Jesus says, you carry this? This is, what you're, this is what you collect? Is this what you live for? Why would you do that? That's crazy. And he says, so give it back to Caesar. Whose face is on this? It's Caesar's. Give it back to Caesar. And to God, what is God's? Jesus says, whoever's image it has, that's who it belongs to. The coin has the image of Caesar. Well, then it belongs to Caesar. Um, But what has God's image? Everyone in the room. And suddenly, Jesus is calling out their allegiance. Because what he's telling them is, you have rendered to Caesar what fully belongs to God. Even Caesar himself is made in the image of God. And you have allegiance to Caesar. And it says the crowd was just amazed. They were just stunned and shocked at everything that had just happened. Okay, now, this moment is huge. Um... Not only had they rendered to Caesar what was Caesar's, they had rendered to Caesar what rightfully belonged to God. In our day, I mean, there's, there's so many directions this could go. Communally, as the people of God. Um, individually, as individual people of God. There are so many ways that we need to ponder this. I mean, this is one of the reasons. I mean, people ask me about tithing, they, like well, how people usually interpret this. They say... Um, What's your view on the tithe? Should Christians give 10% of everything? Is that the tithe? I don't teach on the tithe because I, th- I think tithing, giving 10% to God, robs God of his rightful other 90%. All of you, every one of you, me, everyone who is walking this earth fully belongs to God. And everything that we possess as images of God, we possess 
as if God possessed them. And everything that we have, every resource we had should be used towards reconciliation and restoration, all of it. Everything that passes through our hands, no matter how little, no matter how much, all of it belongs to God. And you simply are here as the image of God to steward that money in exactly the way that God would. So don't go giving 10%. Give 100% of your life, who you are, and what you have control over, your little kingdom, whatever it is. All of it belongs to God. Um, The currency of the kingdom is not money. It is not wealth, reputation, party affiliation, tribalism. The currency of the kingdom of God, the things that we strive to attain, the things that we exchange, the things that we live for, the things that we owe to each other, the currency of the kingdom is love. It is forgiveness. It is mercy. These are the things that we exchange fully, that we strive to give and to pass around. Uh, Many of us represent ourselves as sort of the images of our idols. We, We spend our lives and we fashion our lives um, trying to become like the people that we see who are the image of what we want to be. You read their books, you watch their shows, um, you, uh, you, you listen to their podcasts, you, you listen to their music. Whatever it is that they do, you emulate your life around this person. You have them in your mind right now, the person that you, that you see and you're like, that's what I want to be like. And then you spend your life fashioning yourself in their image because you want other people, when they look at you, to feel what you feel when you look at them. And so you are being discipled in their path and you are organizing your life in their way, trying to be like them. Um, Someone else now in your life is your Caesar. They are the son of God, right? They are also your high priest. Because if you meet them, they can talk to you for a few minutes and they can tell you, or, or if you follow their plan, they affirm you are, you are justified in your, in your journey, in what you're doing. And then people underneath you, you sometimes become their Caesar, right? Like, I don't approve of your views on this. I don't approve of your views on that. I don't approve of how you handle this or do this or the books you read or what you think or what you wear or what you listen to, blah, 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 what your degree is and where you went to school. I disapprove. And as... The image of what you should be, which is myself, I am, I guess, the son of God in your life. And I'm also going to be your high priest, and I'm going to disapprove of you. But if you change and if you become all these things that you should be, um, in other words, if you make yourself more like my image, I'll be your high priest and I'll justify you and declare you sinless. Right? Like malls. You can think of malls as, as massive pagan temples, right? You walk into these stores, there's labyrinths, just like in a, like a temple, right? And, and you walk in and there's these stores and you walk in and there's things to try on and, and, and there's little priests that work there and they'll, do, they'll look at you and they'll say, you are covered in sin. This will wash those sins away. Oh, look, it's on sale. Of course, we raise the price before we put it on sale, but if you wear this, you will be justified for even being in our store, right? This is how we live. And we approve each other and we disapprove each other. And we try to fashion people in our own image. Oftentimes we fashion God in our own image. Um, Our existence, though, as citizens of the kingdom of God, we are fashioned in the image of God and we, we should be the ones that recognize this. Um, which means 
Our existence is not centered on being the image of perfection, of wealth, of intellectualism, or liberalism, or conservatism, or any of it. Um, Wherever we are present in this world, we are restorative, we are forgiving, we are long-suffering, we are gracious, we are the image of God. When there are divided things, we come and we seek to mend them together, not to fashion one in the image of the other or fashion the other in the image of this one. Um, We should be the presence of God standing in the middle, pulling people together and saying, this is not the way. The way of Christ is this. Are you being Christ-like? What are you willing to give up to stay in communion with them? Are are you being Christ-like? What are you willing to give up to stay in communion and, and, and community with them? Because God gave up a whole lot. According to Paul, emptied himself Put, taking, taking the form of someone like you so that he could remain and restore his relationship with you. This is what the image of God looks like. Are you living your life in this way? What are you willing to give up to lower yourself, to stay in communion and community with someone else? I've always, from the very beginning, stri- uh, have striven for, for Watermark to be a place where we don't have to agree on a lot of things. There's a few things that we agree on, and amongst all our disagreements is there is grace and unity that Jesus is our king and that all of these things are temporary that we fight about. In the end, the kingdom of God will remedy them. But in the meantime, we sharpen each other, and we challenge each other, and we confront each other, but we do not separate from each other. We have unity. Um, There is no point at which we may take off the image of God hat, ever. There is not a point at which over here, I'm like the presence of God and I'm here to like help. But over here, like somebody else entirely, okay? That's hypocrite, stage acting. That is what the Pharisees were doing. At no point do we take off the Christian hat. Like we are at all moments the image of God. This thing cannot be removed. It cannot be covered up. It cannot be. When you are in a place, present there, um, you are the presence of God in that room. When people look at you, the whole way this was designed is when people look at you, they should see and learn and get a little glimpse of exactly what Christ is like. Um, and so sometimes you pray that God would intervene in a situation. Something, need, this needs to be done. I pray, God, that you would intervene here. Thoughts and prayers towards this. Let's fix this. God, please do something here to make this happen less. And then, after you finish praying to God, you open your eyes, and you are the presence of God, and you set off to intervene to make it the way it should be. You are the bodily presence of God in this world. The body of Christ gathered together. And so sometimes you pray and, and, and you see somebody in pain and you pray, God, please be with them, respond to them. And then you say amen and you are present with them and you respond to them. You are the presence of God here. We do not render to Caesar the things that are God's. We do not render um, to anyone else the things that are God's at all. Um, there should be, in, our, in, in this world, a community of people who remember who they are, who remember what they are doing here, and can tell others exactly who they are and what they are doing here. A community of people who remember that there is a way to live. So many people, I imagine, on their deathbed, are asking the question, what was that? What was the point of this whole thing? We know what it is. The presence of God should be there teaching people 
what it is. This is what we are called to be. When I was, when I was young, I used to go to like church camp and like youth group and all this. And there would always be these like invitations to like, give your life to God. Give your life to God. At the end of the week, after we ride horses and go skiing, we are going to have a campfire. And it's going to be dark and we're going to play with your emotions a little bit with some music. That's what it works. Um, and you're going to take a stick and you're going to throw it in the fire as a way of giving your life to God. Symbolism is weird. Um, it's a way of giving your life to God, right? And I would contemplate a lot. I would ask questions like, what do you mean give your life to God? You ask people to explain this. It's very hard to explain. What does it mean to give your life to God? Um, okay. Um, we don't drink. We don't smoke. We don't chew. We don't hang with those that do. We don't... Um, we don't have premarital sex because it leads to dancing. And we, we, there's all these things that you just, it's a list of things you're not supposed to do. Um, and it's like, you're going to read your Bible every day and you're going to go to church on Sunday. You're going to tithe 10%. You're going to um, pay your taxes, all right? America, you're going to, um, just this is, what it, this is what it meant to give your life to God. First century Christians to, Give their life to God was like, it was like, okay, I'm going to open my eyes right now and realize I'm, I am the presence of God in this place. What is broken that I can work towards the mending of? What is an un, what is happening around me that is not just that I can stand with these people and mourn with them and then walk alongside them to bring justice to this place? Who are people that are being oppressed? How can I walk with them? What is, it's much more than a list of don'ts. Like it's, it's a life where like you enter in and you are in the way of the terrible things that are happening and they're like, what are you doing here? I'll, I'll just be in the presence of Jesus. Like you're about to see what Jesus is like and what Jesus does here. Well, you're gonna get hurt. You're gonna get, exactly. That's what Jesus kind of did, right? That's what the disciples all did. They stood up for like the things that were right in this world. When they entered into a space, they saw hurting people. They saw people who were um, who, who were lost, like sheep wandering without a shepherd. And they went to them, met their needs. In Acts chapter 2, it's like they gathered. If you were to put Acts chapter 2 into modern day, you have a bunch of people and they're gathering together and they look at each other and they say, okay, you know, um, before we worship Jesus, who's in need? Whose light bill isn't paid? Who needs health care? Who needs this? Who needs that? Let's, uh, let's talk. Okay, everyone hear the needs? Let's meet them. Um, I love that about our church. I, I I, I see it. I see you guys meeting each other's needs all the time. I think it's amazing. I think it's beautiful. And I think we should branch out. Um, to give your life to God is awakening now and every moment throughout the day constantly to the fact that you are fashioned by the hands of God, put here so that when people look at you, they would know what God looks like and what Jesus really cares about. And that you would be that. And it's going to upset some people. But it's going to give other people hope. That you're with them. And that you care. Because you do. Um, the biggest symbol of this is what we're going to do right now. It's called communion. Now communion service, you guys can take the elements and you can spread it around the room. Um, communion. Uh, it's a very simple thing. It's symbolism. There's bread and there's wine. It's. The bread symbolizes the body of Christ broken for you. 
The wine symbolizes the blood of Christ poured out, blood of Christ poured out for you. When this happened, it symbolizes what happened on the cross. And when this happened, what you begin to see is how much Jesus was willing to give up in his own day. The staggering amount of honor that he actually had, that he gave away, to liken himself to sinners, to feel what they feel, to suffer with them um, the weight of the same punishments that they were feeling under the weight of Rome, and to lead them out of it. Um, this is what communion symbolizes. We do it as a ritual. We do it as a prayer, as a reminder. We ask God to help us do this every single day. This is a, it's an exercise, right? Like, this is how you're supposed to live. Body of Christ broken for you. Blood of Christ poured out for you. So we're going we're to spend some time in prayer, spend some time in repentance and ponder all of this, the places in your life that belong to God that you have rendered to Caesar, whatever that Caesar is. Um, take a piece of bread, rip it off, dip it in the wine, and eat it. Ask God to touch the parts of your life that you have just blocked off. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. Change us. Shake us up. Mold us. Make us like you. Let us see the, uh, the acts of justice that you are doing. Let us see the acts of forgiveness and restoration that you are doing. Let us see the hurting, um, the push down, uh, the oppressed, the lost, the sinners, the... Um, the cast out and let us go to them and be the presence of Christ in their midst. And let healing and salvation just flow over our city in this way. In your name. Amen. Take some time. Talk to Jesus.